This is the Crazy Beautiful Life Podcast. I'm Bethany, but most people call me B, and I'm your host. From health and wellness, money moves, environmentalism, lifestyle design, and more, this podcast helps inspire you to live your most crazy beautiful life. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. I am so excited because today I am coming at y'all with a new Bees Estrogen Empire topic. Today, we are super fortunate because we are joined by Dr. Mary Ellen Tedeschi. I cannot wait for y'all to meet her and to just hear all of the amazing information and knowledge that she has to share. Dr. Mary Ellen is a naturopathic doctor who focuses on hormones, women's health and hormones, optimizing digestion, gut health, radiant skin, acne, and more. I had so much fun picking her brain in this episode about all the things. We really go into it all. What tests are available to you? What happens when you go to your primary care physician and they say, hmm, everything came back normal in your blood work. What is next? We're talking bloating. We're talking acne, skin, periods, menstrual cramps, estrogen dominance, progesterone, seed cycling, all the things. I am so excited for today's episode, so let's get into it and roll the intro. Welcome to Bee's Estrogen Empire. The Estrogen Empire is a brand new series focused on breaking down various topics in women's health. It's time for us to create an empire of women who are informed and assertive and can advocate for their health and the health of women around the world. I'm Bee the host of Bee's Estrogen Empire, and I'm very privileged to have a voice and feel confident enough to discuss these topics. I would like to take a moment to recognize that not all women have female anatomy, and not all female anatomy classifies someone as a woman. The Empire will use evidence-based information to guide topics and discussions. All references will be included in the show notes, and I'm so excited that you're here to join the Estrogen Empire and the movement that we are about to create. Welcome along. Okay, everyone. So before we dive too deep into today's episode, I just wanted to remind y'all that from February 15th, 2021 to March 8th, 2021, I am collecting menstrual product donations that will be donated to Moontime Sisters, Ontario. Period inequity is alive and true in many Northern Indigenous communities here in Canada, and Moontime Sisters is actively working to supply menstrual products to those who need them. If you would like to donate to the menstrual product drive, please send me a DM on Instagram at bee.spiers. Once collected on International Women's Day, I will be passing all menstrual products over to Moontime Sisters, who will ensure that they end up in the hands of those who need them most. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. It is just a lovely, snowy morning here in Toronto, and I am joined by a wonderful guest, Dr. Mary Ellen. Welcome to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to our recording day. 
Yes. I've been so excited. Just like my coworkers. I always, I feel like I spend so much time with my coworkers these days because I'm not really interacting outside of the home. And, um, they just hear my whole life now. Right. So I'm like on this day, I'm recording with this person. And Oh, on this Friday, I'm recording with a naturopath. So you guys can look forward to that. And they just know how, how excited I've been. So <laughs> thank you so much for doing uh, this. I'm happy to be here. So I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of an intro to who you are, what you do, what, what is your calling, your story, anything like that, if you'd love to share. Absolutely. So as Bethany mentioned, I am a naturopathic doctor and I'm practicing in the Hamilton Waterdown, essentially across Ontario now that we have, I've adopted virtual into my practice too over the past year. And my calling is really to empower people to make informed decisions about their health. So to really think about health as a team sport, look at alternative ways that we can get those results that we're longing for and, and really see how our practitioners can make improvements in, in different ways that we didn't think possible. Um, in my practice, I work primarily with hormones. So we think about menstruation, thyroid health, stress management, those adrenal glands that I'm sure we'll touch on in today's podcast. I work a lot with skin conditions. So acne, eczema, psoriasis, um, any inflammatory skin stuff. I love figuring out what the root cause of that is and then bringing back all of the um, foundations as to what could be contributing. And I love optimizing digestion. And it's very common that we'll see that, uh, you know, the combination of those three systems really do go hand in hand. So when we're working on treatment plans, I'm always looking holistically and helping put together those puzzle pieces and fit them together and see what could be missing and, and what could be preventing you from achieving that overall state of health that you are hoping for. Amazing. And that is just so in alignment with all of the things that our listeners love. We love talking about hormones and mis menstruation and acne and all the things. So this could not be a more perfect collaboration. I am so excited for this episode. Awesome. Um, when did you sort of get into the naturopathic world or where did you go for your undergrad? How did we get to where you yeah. are now? Absolutely. The story of me. So um, <laughs> I born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario. So I went to McMaster University. I'm a Mac grad. That's where I studied my life sciences um, for my undergraduate degree. And it was actually in my second or third year of the life sciences degree when I first came to know about naturopathic medicine. I, much like many of my classmates, you know, I was in life sciences with the hopes of becoming a medical doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician at the time. And then as I was, you know, I became aware of all of the other possibilities out there, I really started venturing and job shadowing and learning more about the many different ways that I could contribute to the health field. And then when we had a naturopathic doctor present one of our classes in second or third year, that's when the light bulb kind of went off. And I said, hey, this is a really cool um, career that was calling to me. At that time, I had not heard about what a naturopathic doctor was. But when I kind of did that initial Google search after class that evening, I was, you know, it kind of checked all my boxes. And I said, Hey, I think this could really be something. So that's what led me down the road to, you know, reach out to a local naturopathic doctor shadow and really kind of get all of my ducks in a row to really consider this as a career choice and a calling for me. And I immediately fell in love. And I just felt that 
everything aligned and I have not looked back. It's been wonderful being able to then pursue my education at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, complete my clinical internship there, and then get started in practice. So it's been a very rewarding and fulfilling journey so far. And every day is a new day. I always learn something new. That's why they call it practice, right? And, uh, you know, they keep it it's, it's, it's wonderful every day. I feel so fulfilled and I'm so thankful for that. I love that you sort of explain your aha aha moment, because I feel like a lot of people get into careers or are in a program and stuff like that. And they're not really sure, but I know for me, like when I realized I really wanted to focus on women's health and perinatal health and menstrual health, it was an aha moment. And that mm-hmm. aha moment didn't come until I think around my fourth year of, I did five years of undergrad. And I just think it's really cool that, that you had that as well. Do you remember the feeling like after coming out of that class being like, this is it, or were you still sort of on the fence? I was so excited. So when I went to McMaster, I still lived at home with my parents. So I drove to school. So after class, I had to get on the shuttle bus to take us down to the parking lot where all of the off-campus students would park. And I just remember I could not wait for that bus to get me from the, from the little waiting area because I couldn't wait to get home and just, you know, get on my computer and look up what a naturopathic doctor was and just kind of, you know, get all the nitty gritty and and start figuring it out. I was so excited. Wow. And did you have to change much of your undergrad to direct yourself that way? Or was it all sorted? Not at all, luckily, because um, I kept, which is another thing why I absolutely loved my choice to go into the life sciences program is that you're able to, you know, take some of those social studies courses or anthropology courses and um, some of the arts as well, if you needed to. And then of course you get all of your biomedical science foundation as well. So I had everything all ready to go. My, I was already on track for when I had to submit my application to the naturopathic college in my fourth year. Wow. It's like mm-hmm. it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how many years? Oh, you sorry. go first. Um, I was just going to say it's interesting because then um, once I started at the naturopathic college, one of my classmates had taken the same class as me in life sciences with Dr. Rita Patel, the naturopath who taught us. And so she was there too. She was called to be a naturopathic doctor after that class as well from McMaster. So it was really interesting. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, how many years have you been practicing as a naturopathic so doctor? This is my, oh my gosh, math, right? Like what was 2020? So I, I've been, this is my third year in practice. Okay. Yeah. And I how graduated have, in 2018. How have the last sort of three years been, has it always been clear of what you wanted to focus your practice on or was it navigation? Lots of navigation. So that first year after we we graduate, we um, have to go through a rigorous set of licensing exams to in order to become um, a licensed naturopathic doctor in Ontario. So I was so fortunate that at that time, I had a wonderful job at a naturopathic clinic um, where I was able to continue to shadow the naturopathic doctor there and help with some of her patient care and things like that. So I really was able to keep you know, keep in the, in the zone of things while I was still studying and writing those exams. And she was very instrumental in um, really showing me and great mentorship for what I wanted to 
um, do and, and focus on in my practice. So um, she was able to teach me so much more about the different assessments we have available for um, hormones and women's health and menstrual health and everything like that. Um, so that was really great and kind of, you know, guided my focus and my passion there. My own health struggles in the past with acne and cystic acne kind of guided, always had that, you know, passion for me and, and really ignited that. Um, and then once everything falls into place, I think the energy you put out there really attracts the people that come through your door. So then when I started getting, you know, my ideal client coming back and, and all these, you know, clients booking, patients booking in, um, that's when it all fell into place. And that's really what's continued to build over the last three years. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when they're sort of getting into something, um, they think you have to have it all figured out right away. You have to have your brand. You have to have, you have to know who your ideal patients are, who your ideal clients are, and be able to list all of the things about them. A lot of different sort of businessy books that I've read say that, you know, you have to have your niche. Um, yeah. But I think it's really cool to sort of go in and allow things to unfold as you go through your practice and as you learn more. And then you'll get to where you need to be. And mm -hmm. I think right now, like I was just talking about before we started recording, like your Instagram is awesome. It is so clear about who you are and what you do. And it's, it's just phenomenal. I, I love what you're putting out there into the world, especially because what you're putting out there is legit. It is real. It is evidence-based research informed. It's important in, in the online world yeah. that we're navigating right now. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you so much. And that's, that's the neat thing about social media. It doesn't need to be a stressful thing that we have to have all figured out. Right. And that's, it's really neat to have that Instagram page as a platform because I, it helps to guide my niche too, because if it's things that I love writing about and it lights me up and I could, you know, I really am excited to get this post out there, then that's who I want to be attracting into my, into my patient base. Right. And that's who I want to be speaking to. And, uh, I'm glad you said, you know, you, you admire my information because it's true. I have, you know, four years of an undergrad, four years of a postgraduate, uh, the naturopathic medical school that I went to under my belt clinical experience. So that's where all of that information comes from. Yeah, I think it's really important to have people like you in the online space putting out information that is real and safe and true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's really Much awesome. Much like how you've created this podcast. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's a great tool Thanks. and a great resource for people. So I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, do you sort of remember when you got interested in hormonal health or gut health and things like that? Yeah, so that happened pretty early on, I would say. So um, once I once we started the naturopathic medical school, we we got some clinical experience right off the bat in our first year, but it was mainly our you know foundational biomedical science courses, um, the art and practice of naturopathic medicine, etc. But in second year, we had some more. Um, regular shadowing shifts. And that's when I was paired with one of the fourth year interns who um, that day was seeing a patient for menstrual health. And I just loved the way that she carried, you know, the visit and different things to ask about and um, how we could piece together what um, this individual's symptoms 
what was going on that were contributing to the reasons why this individual had not had a period for over a year. So when that really kind of stuck with me and that's something that I continued to think about and I did extra learning on my own, you know, continuing education, all of that outside of the foundations we gathered um, in our program. And that really uh, ignited that. So I just loved that there were so many options from a naturopathic point of view to help women make those empowered informed decisions about their menstrual health, right? Because I think um, it's a common theme that a lot of women feel potentially dismissed or maybe they're falling through the cracks if, you know, they have severe menstrual cramps where they're missing school or work or they're they have cystic acne and they don't know what else is an alternative to treatment. And, and they, you know, if the birth control pill doesn't work for them as an option, perhaps it does. And it helps to take away those symptoms, but if it's not a viable option for them, then, you know, they're kind of left with, okay, here's some painkillers and watch and wait it out. Right. And I just think, you know, that's the perfect time to really get that better assessment, talk to other healthcare providers out there, um, get assessed by a naturopathic doctor to see what else we can do for you to help make that time of the month, not as stressful. Right. Yeah, totally. I think, um, just sort of, I've, I've done a couple studies of endometriosis, um, just through school. I did like a video study, which was really fun. My prof was like, I don't want to read any more papers, make me something different. And I was like, I'll make a video. This is awesome. And I had, um, interviewed a few, uh, different women who had endometriosis and they really did talk about that dismissive, um, nature that they had experienced. And, um, would you agree or disagree that hormonal health for a long time has been overlooked? That's a very, very good question. I would say in some cases, and, and what I see just based on our health model, and once again, I'll, I'll state health is a team sport. We need our conventional medical doctors, our OBGYNs, our gynecologists, right? Our family doctors, they are instrumental to the care that we are able to receive, especially as Ontario Canadian citizens, right? Um, But with our health model, you know, if it's not big and scary and, you know, blood work comes back normal or imaging comes back normal, or there's, uh, you know, no big red flags on the diagnostic testing or assessments. And, or if there's no um, proven or, you know, adequate, effective pharmaceutical intervention that can help, or even a surgical intervention that can help, that's really when symptoms can get overlooked, right? And really the best options we have then are for symptom management. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, you know, some naturopathic tools also involve symptom management because if we're, I always tell my patients, we're, we're working short-term so that we, we can, you know, uncover and get rolling on the long-term, um, causes and the long-term effects here that we're, that we're hoping to change. So while we do, um, symptom management, symptom management as well, we have the added benefit of looking, from a holistic point of view and seeing what exactly is going on underneath it all. What are these hormones telling us? I look at not only results, but patterns and how that translates to my patient's symptoms. So that's where we can take an individualized, more tailored approach to your concerns. Yeah. I think that's a really excellent point because symptom management can be really empowering and Mm -hmm. it can be like, oh, thank God I am not going to miss work today because my cramps are so bad. But then, you know, just focusing on the symptom management and never getting to the root cause 
in the long term can be very not empowering, can be the opposite of empowering, can make you feel small, can make you feel horrible. You know, I've, I've been working on this for years and I've been managing these symptoms for years and I'm no further ahead than I was back then. So I think that there's definitely a time and a place, like you said, for symptom management and also getting to the root and saying, you know, what is going on here and how can we fix it and not Absolutely. just manage it? Absolutely. We think about, I think we do a good job of even, you know, when we talk about goal setting, even, you know, personal or, or career goals, we think about, okay, what are our short-term, you know, three-month goal? And then what do we want? Where do we want to be in five years? We should think about that when it comes to our health too, right? Oh. So month to month, where do we want to be? We don't want to be in debilitating pain or having acne flares every month that are super debilitating and can cause a lot of issues with our self-confidence, right? So month to month, we want to make sure we're putting out our best self and not missing out on those things that we need to attend to. And then, you know, in three years, do we still want to be relying on those same treatment protocols? Or do we want to be able to have tools in our toolbox that um, empower us and, and we know, okay, if, if I feel this way, I can take this or I can do this with my diet or I can see my naturopath for some more help. So really, you know, thinking about goals in your own health is really important too. And that helps to guide treatment in a lot of cases. I have never thought of it, my health in terms of short and long-term goals. Mm -hmm. I've always thought of it as, you know, this is what's happening and this is what I'm going to do to manage it, treat it or fix it. I've never thought about it like that. And as I reflect upon myself, like I had really, really, really bad acne growing up. Um, and I had went on a birth control pill and I can't imagine having gone through university and not been on that birth control pill. The confidence having clear skin gave me was amazing. And I was, a, I was an athlete throughout uni. So I remember like if I had to keep putting on makeup because I had acne in between practice and class and lifts and workouts and more makeup and all of that, like I just can't imagine having done that. So it was very liberating for me at that time. Now that I'm done uni, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to figure out what this acne is about. I'm ready to get to the bottom of this. Um, so yeah, I've, I've really never thought about it like that. And now as I think back, I'm like, wow, short-term, long-term goals yeah. with regards to my health. That's cool. Absolutely. Cause I think there is, especially in the alternative health world, right. And everything that we see on Instagram, there is that underlying level of guilt sometimes like, Oh, you know, don't use the birth control pill or don't use these pharmaceutical medications. But you know, sometimes that is our best option at the moment, right? And if that's going to give us that kind of reset and bring everything back down to a manageable level, then we can start to think about a more sustainable change that's better aligned with your lifestyle and what your body needs. So yeah, yeah exactly. Short-term and long-term. Yeah. A great way to think about it. That is really cool. So in, in your practice, um, in the things that you do, what would you say um, is most commonly tied to acne, hormonal um, complications, um, all of the things, menstrual complications, things like that. What is like at the bottom of it that you keep seeing over and over? That is a fantastic question. So of course, it's going to vary from person to person. But I think one of the th main things and something that would be very interesting to talk about today would be gut health and your microbiome, right? So something that I think it's easy to say, okay, it's my gut. And when we think about gut health, we think about those digestive symptoms, like what's going on 
with my bowel movements and poops and what's going on with my bloating and things like that. But there's also so much that our microbiome um, is in charge of when it comes to how we uh, metabolize our hormones, we create neurotransmitters, all of that. And, you know, our inflammatory balance and our immune system response, there's so much else that happens in that gut health. That's really foundational to skin hormones, menstrual health, all of it. Wow. So let's, mm -hmm. let's get a little crash course. What yeah. is the gut microbiome? I keep hearing it on Instagram and in different documentaries. What is it? Well, the gut microbiome is home to billions, even trillions of bacteria, other species, so other microflora that live in your intestinal tract. And we have more microbes in us than human cells, which is very interesting. Um, so you can imagine, you know, those, that collection of, of microbes really sets the stage for our overall health. Wow. And what does the gut microbiome do? So it's involved in our immune system response. It's involved in the way we digest food. We metabolize hormones, the way we create neurotransmitters. Um, it's involved in regulating sleep, appetite, all of that. So, um, it, it, you know, everything in our body works off messages and signals and feedback loops. So um, we can think about even the gut brain connection. So how a really interesting kind of correlation I make for my patients is that um, pre-exam jitters where you feel like you have to run to the bathroom every five minutes um, to, to have a bowel movement or you have, you know, those that butterflies in your stomach feeling that is, you know, long term, that constant signal to your gut and your that microbiome shifts the population of microbes that are growing in there so shifts the type of bacteria that's growing in uh, your digestive tract so that's why long-term stress we see it correlated with ibs symptoms a lot of digestive issues you know more long term because we've altered the microbiome and the population that's living there wow I know exactly what you're talking about pre-exam jitters and <laughs> in my exercise and cancer course, it was one of the hardest courses I've ever taken. Um, yeah. I remember during the exam, my stomach, not happy. I kept needing to go to the washroom. And I remember then I was more stressed because I was like, they're going to think I need to keep going to the washroom because I'm cheating. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it was very bizarre. And then because I was more stressed, my stomach was more upset. And I was just like, Oh, it's just this horrible loop of like, you're stressed because of your exam. Now you're stressed because you're stressed and you keep needing to go to the washroom and it's making more stress and your stomach is more upset. So exactly. I've experienced that. That's a really good way to put it. Exactly. And stress, you know, a short word that packs a really powerful punch because we get stress from mental, emotional triggers. So like, you know, that, that exam, that timeline, that deadline, the, the need to com complete work or, you know, work-related tasks, um, family obligations, all of that. But also our body perceives stress from an internal level the same way. So things that we don't even have control over. So that microbiome balance, if we're shifting into dysbiosis where we're getting more of the bad guys, I call them. So more of those, you know, bacteria that can cause fermentation or other symptoms and make you not digest your food as well, cause those hormonal imbalances, et cetera. If we're getting more dysbiosis, if we're 
that's causing more inflammation in the digestive tract because we're getting more food sensitivities or reactions to foods. Um, if we have nutrient or vitamin deficiencies, that's all perceived as stress as well and can kick off that stress cascade and put us in that vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Vicious cycles. Totally. I relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of our, our gut health, and we know that stress can cause some issues with this. Are there any things related to our food or the quality of the food that we eat now? Have, have any of those things contributed to gut health in, in recent years? Because a lot of people are talking about soil and, and food and stuff like that. So I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, based on clinically what I've seen in practice, and of course, this isn't something I've um, kind of done too much extensive research on, I'm sure it exists out there, or my sister would be a good person to ask because she is doing her PhD in environmental science right now, water wow. quality and all of that fun stuff. So she's a great person to pick her brain, but um, just based on, you know, our agriculture, the way we're farming, um, you know, mass production of things, it is true that it's, it's difficult for us to get the best quality of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, solely on food sources right now. Um, especially, you know, we think about the standard American diet, sad diet, right? So, um, and I, you know, processed quick, easy food, uh, but even the greenwashing of food. So even like the vegan meals that are readily available, right? We think because it's vegan, it's a healthier choice, but really it's filled with a lot of crap for, last of a, for lack of a better term, or, you know, the gluten-free stuff that's out there on the market, just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean, you know, it's the best choice for you. Right. So really being empowered about making those decisions, a whole foods, you know, organic diet is obviously the most, um, sustainable for gut health, a variety of foods. So working and stepping away from restrictive dieting and restrictive eating patterns, because our microbiome wants to feed on a variety of different antioxidants, fibers, polyphenols, all of these great compounds that we get from foods, a rich variety of different sources, you know, animal products, making sure they're coming from sustainable, um, well-farmed sources, right? Like free range, non-GMO, all of that. Um, and, you know, we think about those animals that are fed grains, it's usually corn, corn being a GMO mainly now, right? So a genetically modified organism, um, because it's mass produced, humans don't tolerate that very well. So I run a lot of food sensitivity testing in my practice where we're able to see how the body's reacting, um, how the body's immune system is reacting to food over 200 different foods. Um, with a simple blood test and corn comes up on 90% of my patients wow. results because it's a very difficult one for us to um, digest. So you think about, you know, the meat sources we're eating, if they're getting fed corn too, likely not the best. So, you know, making those conscious choices, the environmental working groups, dirty dozen and clean 15 is a great resource. I'm not sure if you've heard about that. I have my coworker told me about it. Yeah. So it's a great way to kind of hone in. So the dirty dozen, they, they release a new list every year. So the top 12 foods, usually produce. So veggies and fruit that have, that are grown with the most pesticides. So it's wise to, if you're able to, and it's in your budget to choose organic when shopping for those items versus the clean 15. Those are the fruits and veggies that are grown with the least amount of pesticides. So those you're okay to buy conventionally grown, even locally grown is a great option. I say if, if organic is not feasible and not in your budget, 
local is also a great way to go. Eating locally, um, things that are grown here in Ontario with the season, less travel time, less process um, to go through, less pesticides being used, right? So that's a great option too. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, I know a lot of the times when we want to switch something with our health, it's very easy to say, I need to cut out this. I need to cut out that. But with her, with regards to gut health, what is something, something easy that someone could add to their diets instead of restricting that could benefit their, their gut health? Yeah. So that once again, based on symptoms, but if we want to kind of tie in hormone health, so something we can do to start, um, you know, benefiting hormones when it comes to our gut health and how that's tied together. So looking at healthy fibers, healthy fats, that type of thing. So um, fiber helps to actually bind those hormones, specifically estrogen and get it out of your digestive tract. So a lot of times the issue with excess estrogen that's being recycled in our system. And the reason why we get um, these estrogen dominant symptoms one of the contributing factors is constipation and uh, not having regular bowel movements because the estrogen byproducts need to be eliminated by the body through our feces. So fiber helps to, you know, encourage that. So think about things like ground flaxseed, your psyllium husk, things like that. Um, and also another important thing to keep in mind is that the foundation, so the building blocks of our hormones is from fats, from cholesterol. So we need to have a healthy amount of fat intake in our diet to make sure we are fueling that cascade of hormone production as well. So it's important from both ends. Mm -hmm. um, do you know anything about soy products? Because a lot of people are throwing that around with regards to estrogen and stuff. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, so soy is a phytoestrogen. And in some cases, having, you know, an, a moderate amount of phytoestrogen from soy is actually protective and can be healthy for our hormonal health. I would say this changes if the individual has thyroid conditions or, you know, other things that would make soy not the best choice. Um, but if you are, if you do, you know, if you follow a vegetarian diet or a plant-based diet and you're looking for um, some good products, uh, protein products, excuse me, then choosing an organic non-GMO. So a really clean sourced soy is a good option a couple times a week. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people have been sort of demonizing soy, like it has so much estrogen and I'm just not really yeah. sure if it, if it needs to be demonized in the way that it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I hate to label food as good and bad, right? Yeah. So really, and that's when really it becomes an individual choice. So soy might be the best option for someone, you know, who's, who would benefit from that extra phytoestrogen or really needs some more protein in their diet if they're primarily plant-based, whereas for another individual, it might not be the best option and we can look at other things instead. Totally. So with regards to gut health and acne, I would love to know more about that because I'm dealing with that right now. Yeah. So uh, do you have any sort of tips or any information on how those two are related? Absolutely. So um, I really bring it down to the foundation of inflammation and that inflammatory cascade in the body. So when um, we have any dysbiosis, so some overgrowth of not so great bacteria in our, in our microbiome, we may have some 
we likely actually have some um, digestive symptoms too. So think like bloating or you're just, you know, you're not digesting your foods as appropriately as you think you should be. Things could be a little bit better. Um, we want to start thinking about how that can translate into what's going on at our skin. So our skin being our biggest organ is usually that first sign that if there's something happening on the skin, there is, you know, it's that mirror kind of reflecting back at us and saying, Hey, let's take that deeper look and see what's going on inside. So that's why that inside out approach to skincare is really the most sustainable one. We could slather on the best, you know, cleanest, most expensive topicals, but we're not going to really, we're not going to really nip that cycle in the bud. If we're just focusing on topical skin solutions, we want to really start at the gut as well and hormones and all of that. So um, with dysbiosis, that's a big one. So looking at what is growing in your gut, what, uh, what microbes, what bacteria, what's, what fungi, what, you know, what's growing on and what's growing in the gut that could be contributing to this inflammatory state that's going on. Um, how your body is metabolizing carbohydrates and sugar plays a big role as well. So we think about our insulin signaling and things like that, um, how that can be contributing to um, the proliferation or the growth of acne on the skin. We want to think about the fatty acid balance on the skin too. So if we have more of an inflammatory fatty acid balance, so we have too much omega-6s, not enough omega-3s, we're going to get more growth and more, um, more of a favorable environment for that acne to thrive as well. There's some interesting correlations with low stomach acid and acne too, based on on the types of microbes um, that prefer to grow in a lower um, a lower pH or sorry, excuse me, a, a more basic or a higher pH environment. So increasing stomach acid, which helps to make digestion flow easily as well, um, can help to improve the acne too. So, you know, thinking about all of those different triggers. Um, and then there are some cases too, where Foods can be a contributing factor to acne. Um, if we've tried, you know, our best treatments and done um, some testing and, and figured out, you know, digestion's working well, hormones are all checking out, but we're still getting this inflammatory reaction. We're still getting this acne on the skin. Then we can think about doing a food sensitivity test and seeing what foods are the biggest culprits. Um, doing a short-term elimination of those foods as a trial and then adding them back in. So the big goal is to do the healing so you can add those foods back into your diet eventually. Um, but, you know, seeing how that shifts the inflammatory cascade as well. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some things online about the position of acne on your face. Is that actually mm -hmm. a thing? So it's more of a fun um, a fun tidbit. Um, I haven't found the best evidence, like from an evidence standpoint, but with, but the, I'll, I'll make the exception of uh, hormonal acne, like the typical acne we get when we have too many androgens or too much testosterone in the bloodstream, or if we have, we've been diagnosed with something called PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, then we're going to get that cystic acne on the lower jaw line. So like under the under the jaw, the chin, the lower kind of third of the face, right? Um, 
clinically speaking, what we do see. So if I see a lot of congestion or a lot of small pimples, you know, on the forehead, on the cheeks, then that's when I start to think about gut health, microbiome, what's going on with the, with the balance there of um, digestion. Um, even, you know, we think about skin hygiene, like how often are you changing your pillows, our cell phones, right? Our bacteria ridden. So just those obvious things too, but yeah. So it's cool to kind of map out and see what's going on. Um, and it can offer some, you know, great insight into uh, what's going on as the root cause of the acne. Yeah, that is really, really interesting. So lower half is more androgens, hormonal, hormonal. Exactly. upper yeah. half could be stomach related. Yeah. Wow. That is really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. And then of course the appropriate assessments help us to guide that. Right. So then that's when I would say, let's get some testing to see exactly what is going on. Mm -hmm. Are there any like big players or big symptoms that you, someone should look out for, um, to say, Hey, you may be having something going on in your gut microbiome. Yeah. So, um, bloating that is to the point where it's uncomfortable. So we're always, our stomach is always going to grow when we're digesting food, right? Like we're always going to have, you know, a fuller stomach, um, after we've eaten a meal, but if you're bloating to the point where, you know, a common statement I get in my office from my patients is I look like I'm six months pregnant, <laughs> right? Like, and, and it doesn't go down for hours after a meal. And, you know, you go to bed super gassy and uncomfortable and just that full feeling. And then when you wake up, you're flat again until you maybe drink some water, right? Or have like, uh, you know, your breakfast and then you start that cycle again. So any bloating that it feels like no matter what you're eating, what you're drinking, it's just, you're, you can't get a handle on it. It's super uncomfortable. You're unbuttoning your jeans, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that type of bloating. Um, constipation, right? I think we, we overlook that symptom a lot and people say, yeah, it's my normal to go to pass a bowel movement every four days. Well, that's, you know, causing a lot of havoc beneath it all, you know, with your estrogen metabolism, your, your microbiome, even your toxic load, you're constantly just recycling, reabsorbing things that should have been removed and eliminated as waste. Right. Um, so really getting a handle on that. And we should be having at least one healthy bowel movement a day right? Some, you know, some people would say three, we're eating three times a day, we should be having three healthy bowel movements a day. Wow. Um, yeah, right. So I, I would strive, I would say, I'm, I'm happy if my patients tell me they get one a day, <laughs> um, a complete bowel movement. So things like that. Um, heartburn is another one or just, you know, like, uh, once again, if you feel like your heartburn, or that reflex, that burning, um, sensation. Sometimes people tell me, I don't know if I've ever had heartburn. And I say, you do know if you've had it, because it is a very, <laughs> very uncomfortable symptom, something I struggled with when I was uh, in university as well. And, you know, stressed out, and it was one of my body stress responses, but you know, that, that you can't get a handle on and, you know, any, anything like that, where if, you know, it, once again, if blood work, the basics is coming back as normal and, you know, if you had gone to your doctor and, you know, a colonoscopy or an endoscopy or any of those um, assessments would have come back normal, but those symptoms are still bothering you, that warrants further investigation. You deserve to, you know, get that looked at and, and to get some solutions for you. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's really important um, to recognize like, okay, everything came back normal. What next? What yeah. can I do next and what options are available to me? Because it's not something that I thought about for a long time. It's like, 
okay, I, I went to the doctor. They told me everything is fine. I, I guess that's mm-hmm. it. Right. Exactly. But, but there are a lot of other options out there and you're obviously one of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some of the things that someone can look out for um, if they think that their hormones specifically are out of whack? Oh, this is a fun topic. So um, (laughs) with hormones specifically, um, I always urge my patients to, you know, not get too caught in kind of isolating one hormone as being the culprit of all of your, of your issues. Right. I think that especially with estrogen, it tends to get a little bit of a bad rap, right. Cause mm-hmm. it is the one that has the most uncomfortable symptoms associated with it, but we need, we need our hormones at the end of the day. They're, they're what, you know, guides, not only our reproductive system, but sleep, appetite, growth, heart health, brain health, bone health, all of that, right? Um, But some of the symptoms to look out for, so we touched on, you know, the debilitating periods. If you've gone to seek medical assistance multiple times for your period, and you know, you're still having to miss work or miss school, or it's extremely, extremely uncomfortable or unbearable for you every month, that is a big sign to go, you know, get further assessment for. Acne too. So if acne happens, some women get it, you know, mid cycle, some women get it um, with their periods. For some women, acne clears up during their period. So, you know, laying out that timeline with another healthcare professional like myself can really help to um, give you some more insight as to what could be going on. Um, Other things would be, you know, uncomfortable breast tenderness or breast swelling before your period. Some is normal. That does happen with the, with the change and fluctuation in hormones, but anything, once again, unbearable, um, unbearable mood changes as well. Like if you feel like you become a different person for two weeks before your menstrual cycle or before your menses, excuse me, um, then that is something to further look into as well. So what's going on there? Um, yeah, anything that just makes you feel uncomfortable and you feel like I could live a more productive life month to month if mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with this symptom. And that is something that, you know, we can um, definitely get a handle on. And menstruation itself, it really is another vital sign because it's something that comes every month or it should anyway. And if it's not, then there's things that we can do once again just to, to figure out why it's not. But, you know, that menstrual cycle is like your monthly report card, right? So it kind of, and it's interesting that we have that extra tool to make connections and to, you know, kind of pattern, make patterns with and track our symptoms month to month based on that menstrual cycle. So that adds that extra layer of things too, to help us figure out, is it, is it hormones? Um, and then the best way to figure that out is to get the testing done. I always say test, don't guess. Right. Right. And it's, I think, and it's interesting kind of seeing the shift over the past couple of years with information being more available than ever, right? So Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, right? We get like so much, we're, we're bombarded with all of this information and really taking a critical look and saying, okay, where, what's the source? Where's this coming from? I have so many 
women come into my practice and they say, you know, I think it's hormones because I read this and I say, okay, well, the only way we're really going to know is to do some appropriate testing and figure it out. And then, you know, put in that best treatment plan moving forward and seeing what's going on. And did it start at your hormones or did it start at your adrenal glands, that stress cascade, right? Or did it start in your gut? That's where we really make the most strides when we're figuring out what is contributing to that. Right. Heavy periods, painful periods. I know some of my listeners struggle with that. Um, Do you have any insight? I think a lot of the times people get really debilitating, really heavy, painful periods, and they automatically think I have endometriosis. So do you sort of have a way that you navigate heavy, painful periods? Absolutely. So that's when we're kind of um, building a custom treatment plan based on what the hormones are telling us. So there is very likely some excess estrogen um, compared to the progesterone that's going on month to month. So looking at what is contributing to that, what are the sources? So environmentally, what, or, or, um, you know, digestively or any, any of any of those contributing factors that are, um, making that estrogen more potent and and more abundant at that time in the cycle. Also looking at inflammation is a big piece of this. So, um, our omega-3, our anti-inflammatory fatty acids versus our omega-6 fatty acids with fatty acids, excuse me, fatty acids, which tend to be um, more inflammatory. So things that we can easily get from our diet, like nuts, seeds, um, can put us into more of a pro-inflammatory state versus yeah, the omega threes that come from primarily fish, right. Um, there are some plant-based exceptions too, but, you know, really focusing on that balance, um, histamine is an inflammatory molecule, um, that can be more, you know, we get more, uh, histamine release when we have more estrogen in our body as well. So really focusing on those cascades, those signals and how that can get you some lasting results too, when it comes to painful, heavy periods. So painful, heavy periods, we've got to get the inflammation down. What are some of the foods Mm -hmm. that someone could lean on during that time? Yeah. Great question. So, um, thinking about seeds is important. So even your, um, like pumpkin seeds, flax seeds, uh, people talk about seed cycling, you know, I've heard that. Yeah. Pumpkin and flax and then sesame and, um, sunflower seeds, but even just picking like some seed, any seed to, to have, um, regularly for the fiber intake and everything like that to help with those hormones and then focusing on those omega-3 sources. So healthy fats from fish, would be a great option or choosing a supplement form. Um, flax has omega-3, um, as well. So looking at that, um, and then focusing also on, you know, our appropriate protein and carb ratios too. So we do depend on levels of carbohydrates, um, to help with our menstrual cycle and our hormones as well. So, and, um, you know, that can help to balance out these symptoms too. So really just, you know, focusing on, um, a well-balanced whole foods diet is the best way. Yeah. Um, Um, if you, sorry, I will add to one of the things that you can think about, um, limiting the intake of during those two weeks before your cycle starts or before your menses begins, um, would be to eliminate cows dairy products because Mm. they can tend to be inflammatory in the body. So just doing, you know, two weeks right before your period starts can even help to reduce that histamine inflammation cascade as well. Interesting. 
and seed cycling. Do you mind expanding on mm -hmm. that a wee bit? Yeah. So seed cycling, it's, um, the whole purpose of it is to use these seeds and the properties of them. So their fibers there, they do have some estrogenic or some um, progesterone supporting properties to help make sure that we are in balance. So we do it based on the phase that we're at in our menstrual cycle. So day one of your period is day one of your cycle. I have a lot of um, people ask me about that too. Like when, you know, they, they, I often ask how, how long is your menstrual cycle? And they'll tell me the day after their period ended to the next day of the next first day of their, you know, cycle. Right. But we go day one of your period to the next day, one of your period, that is your cycle. Yeah. And uh, there are some great apps out there that can help you track that. But anyway, day one to about day 14 or until you ovulate is your follicular phase. So that's when you can use your flax seeds and your pumpkin seeds to help um, support estrogen and balance all of that, um, you know, get you those healthy fats and, and things like that. Um, then day 15 to day 28 approximately or until your next period, that's your um, luteal phase. And that's when we can use sesame and sunflower seeds to help bind up any extra estrogen, promote progesterone, and give you some of those healthy fatty acids as well. Interesting. So we mm -hmm. talked a lot about estrogen. Um, and I've also noticed a community online of people talking about progesterone deficiency. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's going on with progesterone and how can we sort of optimize that hormone as well? Yeah. So progesterone really depends on healthy ovulation. So once we ovulate, that sets the cascade and kind of sets the stage for optimal progesterone production. So progesterone surges or has its highest level after you ovulate. Estrogen is the star of the show in the beginning of your menstrual cycle. So once your, you know, once your menses starts, both of those hormones are quite low and then estrogen starts to build up to become its highest right before you ovulate. So kind of at that midpoint. So what can happen sometimes? So if we have too much estrogen, it can actually blunt the effects of progesterone. So we can get that relative progesterone deficiency if we have too much estrogen in the body and our receptors aren't sensitive enough to the amount of progesterone that we have, even if we are ovulating every month. Um, and then what else can happen? So if we're not ovulating, we're not going to get, you know, enough progesterone, um, if at all, right, in, in the cycle to help support and balance out the effects of estrogen too. So this becomes interesting, even in women who are in perimenopause or menopause, <clears throat> because we often blame the symptoms on estrogen and estrogen kind of takes a roller coaster as I describe it. So, you know, it can be high and low and those drops really um, cause a lot of those symptoms supporting progesterone at that time, while it is also decreasing during the perimenopause years, supporting a healthy amount of progesterone helps to balance out the effects and the symptoms caused by that estrogen. And what are the, some of, what are some of the things we can do to support healthy progesterone other than seed cycling? Great question. So really um, focusing on ovulation, I would say. So if you're not tracking ovulation, um, a great tool to start would be like, if you're not already um, plugging your menstrual cycle dates, your period dates into a, into an app, just to get an idea. An app can't obviously tell you if you're ovulating because yeah. it does not know what's going on in your body, but just to kind of map out your cycle, if we're starting basics 101. 
Then looking at the signs in your body. So are you noticing some pain mid-cycle? So some women will get a little bit of ovarian pain that lasts from 12 to 24 hours that when they're, when they are ovulating changes in cervical mucus, it will become more egg white, like I call it. So more, Mm -hmm. um, stringy, um, that will change while you're ovulating change in body temperature, change in cravings, all of those types of things. Um, so supporting progesterone, um, through, through making sure you're ovulating. Um, and if you're not ovulating, figuring out why not, that's a great place to start. Yeah. I've started tracking. It's really fun. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, it's quite empowering. Yeah. It's really cool just to be like, oh, I'm feeling like this today. What's going on? Oh, this is happening today. Why? Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's really, really cool and really interesting. And it's like, oh, I didn't ovulate why, why Like that is really, really a good point that like Mm -hmm. we should be ovulating and another sign. So if you're not ovulating every month, that's when you might get periods every two months or your cycle days are longer than 40, right? Like your, your periods coming longer than every 40 days. That's Mm -hmm. when it's, you're not ovulating and women who are on the birth control pill do not ovulate. So that's just based on, um, how those synthetic hormones are, controlling that, um, that cycle every month. So, um, the synthetic hormones from the pill are actually causing that uterine lining to build up. And then instead of ovulating, you know, you get that withdrawal bleed once you stop or you take those sugar pills for the week. So just as an FYI. Yeah. Um, I just learned about withdrawal bleeds too. And I was like, (laughs) brain is blown. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people don't know about that. Yeah. Um, in terms of estrogen dominance and Mm -hmm. relative progesterone deficiency, Mm -hmm. are they always related? Are they always together or are they two separate entities? That is another very good question. Um, some, so whenever I look at hormones, I don't look at them in isolation. I'm always looking at them, you know, together, getting the bigger picture. So I would say, it's very common that we see estrogen dominance with a relative progesterone deficiency. But of course, there are some cases where, you know, estrogen looks really great, but progesterone's not getting to where it needs to be. So that's when we need to start thinking about progesterone receptors, what could be preventing that healthy amount of progesterone in the bloodstream or, or the, where we're testing it in, whether it be saliva or urine, which are also testing methods for your hormones what is preventing them from getting to the level of the tissue. So that's when, you know, I always describe, and when I review any lab testing or assessments I do with my patients, we talk about, okay, we've got different things going on here. We've got level in the bloodstream. Then we need to figure out level at the tissue, level at the receptor. So what's preventing that otherwise healthy level of hormone that we have available, what's preventing it from carrying out its intended function. So that's when we start to think about, the functionality of things, the biochemistry of things, and what, what could be preventing that hormone from binding to its receptor site. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that people can do, um, if they are experiencing hormonal issues or gut microbiome problems, what can they do to sort of rehabilitate that relationship between our gut and our hormones and our skin and all the things? Yeah. So we'll break it down to foundations of health. So we want to make sure we're sleeping. We are fueling our body with adequate meals. So eating, you know, appropriately nourishing our body and pooping. So really that's honestly, if you have all those three things checked out, 
that is the best thing that you can start doing for your, your overall hormonal and gut health is making sure that those foundations are taken care of. And of course, movement, right? So, yeah. you know, which I know that you're, you, you obviously <laughs> are a big advocate of too, right? But, but all of those foundations, really making sure those are all in place. Yeah. And a huge I think different simple things that we, you know, often overlook, right? Yeah. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the, I need these supplements. I need to do these yes. crazy things and adding, adding, adding when it's just come back to the basics. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, right? Because so, so often I have really, really stressed out individuals in my practice who are so, you know, oh my gosh, like, I think my estrogen's all over the place. And I don't know what to do and da, da, da. And then when we go through our initial visit and they tell me I don't sleep, I don't poop. Like I eat one meal a day because I'm not hungry or I'm too stressed. Right. Right. Then we know it's not a supplement problem, right? Like there's no <laughs> supplement out there that I can give you to help correct that. What we need to do is focus on the basics first, peel back those layers and then see how those symptoms fall into place. Right. Right. And what about the role of probiotics? There's a lot of probiotics yeah, out there right now. So many probiotics out there. It's a, it's a common buzzword in the wellness field, but um, probiotics are great based on symptoms. So if, if symptoms are telling us that or overall picture, so, um, probiotics are healthy bacteria that help, you know, to give us that thriving microbiome and help to balance out and, and establish that healthy population of microbes in our digestive tract. Um, if we are not addressing the gut terrain. So if we have a lot of inflammation, if we don't have enough stomach acid, if we've got too much of an overgrowth of those bad bacteria, then those good probiotics, even though we have the best intentions, they're not going to be able to thrive and carry out their intended function. So it's always, you know, we might have great intentions of self-prescribing a probiotic, but it might not be really worth your while unless we're figuring out the other issues too. But food forms of probiotics can be helpful, right? So things like kefir, which is like a fermented, you can get it dairy-based or coconut-based is fantastic. So there's a little bit of naturally occurring probiotics in there, kombucha, fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, those types of things are really great for your gut health, fermented foods. I love, love, love kombucha. Mm -hmm. I just, oh, it's, it's so good. So before someone decides to start taking a probiotic, a lot of people are doing that. I was taking a probiotic for a wee while. And then I was like, what am I doing? Um, so what's something that someone should do before deciding whether or not a probiotic may be right for them? So I may be biased, but I would say, <laughs> look at, speak to a naturopathic doctor, even a holistic nutritionist, you know, um, people who, that is in their wheelhouse where they are able to prescribe and appropriately assess and recommend the, the best treatments for you. Because another common, you know, fee common feedback I'll get from patients too, is that they've self-prescribed a probiotic for their gas and bloating, but their gas and bloating got worse. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, once again, we're not addressing the real root cause here. And that extra load of bacteria in the microbiome isn't carrying out its intended function, right? So really listen to your symptoms. If you've done, it's not going to be harmful if you trial a bottle of probiotics on your own off the shelf, but you might not, number one, get the intended outcome. And number two, it might not, you know, it might make your symptoms a little worse and more uncomfortable. So really getting that guided um, insight and the appropriate assessment helps. Yeah. So what are, are some of the tests that someone can do to look at their gut health and look at what's going on? 
Yeah. Okay. So many, and there's so many great ones. So a really interesting test that I love to look at is a functional stool test called the GI map. And it's a comprehensive poop test. So it is a poop sample. <laughs> and then you send it off to the lab and we get a report back that tells us, you know, different species of bacteria, viruses, parasites, fungi that are growing in the gut, um, how your body's digesting your foods, um, the inflammatory status, the immune status of your digestive tract. So something called secretory IgA, which is we need nice and high to be protective against any, you know, inflammation or invaders in the digestive tract when it comes to bacteria. It can tell us how your body is metabolizing or, or um, using that estrogen in the digestive tract. So what's going on with that? Um, yeah, it's really fantastic. So it helps to kind of tell us how much good bacteria do we have or commensals and if there's any ones that are overgrowing that we need to address. Um, so that really helps to kind of spell it all out and give us that functional look at what's going on in the gut. Um, other things we can do. So there's um, organic acids testing. So that would be, you know, a urine test that looks at different markers for gut health, um, from inflammation to bacterial overgrowth in general to yeast overgrowth, which is something we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. It also looks at neurotransmitters, our neurotransmitters, serotonin being one of them. They're chemical messengers in our body as well, um, produced by the brain, but you know, in, in the case of serotonin, a lot of it is produced in the gut. So if we don't have a healthy gut, we're not going to be producing a lot of serotonin um, and especially not optimally. And, and just as a side note, serotonin also is involved in our pain perception pathways in the body. So we think, you know, menstrual migraines, period pain, what's going on with that serotonin, right? So Ooh. how can we optimize that? Yeah. Just as a side note, that's an interesting one too. And then of course there is food sensitivity testing that can be a useful tool to help guide um, treatment plans and, and what, uh, what we can do in terms of nourishing our bodies mm -hmm. in the best way. So we've got a stool test for the gut health. Mm -hmm. How about hormones and menstruation and periods yes. and things like that? Absolutely. So the three main ways that I would test hormones in my practice and this, you know, different I would recommend a different medium of testing based on the patient's healthcare concerns or, or where they've what they've already had done with previous healthcare providers, but we can test hormones through blood work. So we can do, you know, our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, look at our adrenal health. So cortisol, DHEA, FSH and LH from the brain. So getting a full picture of what's going on in the bloodstream. If we want to look more functionally at the tissue level of these hormones, we can look at um, a hormone test in saliva. So once the, the hormone has left the bloodstream and it's having its intended function at the tissue, we can see that activity reflected in the saliva. Wow. Or I know, right? Pretty cool. Or if we want to see all of that and then some, so seeing how our body is metabolizing or detoxifying these hormones, the different types. So, you know, if we're um, favoring a strong type of testosterone based on our something called our five alpha alpha pathway, which is something we see a lot with acne, um, or making sure that we are appropriately and safely detoxifying our estrogen in the safest form, then we would do something through urine, either a Dutch test or the comprehensive hormone insights that we can do out of Canada and BC. Mm -hmm. So these are all different ways that we can test our hormones, very insightful and very empowering to see all of that. 
Yeah. Wow. What's the difference between some of the tests that you would do and some of the tests that an, that a medical doctor would do and how are they both beneficial? Very good question. So, um, the most common form of testing that you would get from your family, um, your family doctor, your healthcare provider, um, conventionally would be blood work. And it would be the same type of blood work that I could run as a naturopath. So that's why I do like, um, blood work because it's, readable amongst all professions, you know, it's, it's, um, it's uh, standardized. So blood work is a great option. So, um, and, and then also I will add to that too. I often talk about normal versus optimal. So oh. if your blood work came back normal from your family doctor, I don't deny that it, that it didn't, right? Like I am pretty sure that it's normal if it, if nothing's flagged, but when I take an, an extra look and I look at it um, from my lens, I'm looking to see, are we in the optimal range? So are you at the low end of, of normal? Are you at the high end of normal, right? Like what it, normal to who? I want to make sure it's normal to you and optimal to you. So always getting a copy of any blood work that's been done is super helpful because then it helps me, you know, to fill in the blanks. And if that's already been tested, we can look at other ways of, um, adding in some other tests to help give us uh, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So tests like the saliva or the urine test, even the functional stool test differs from a stool test you might leave at your family doctor's office or at the lab that they run. So those tests from your family doctor or your GI specialist would look at, you know, any of the big and scary ones again. So do you have an obvious parasite or a bacterial overgrowth, things like that. Whereas on the functional side of things, we're looking at those, but also how is your body digesting foods, right? The immune status, things like that. So it just gives that extra functional look. And do you test specifically for different biomarkers that may not be tested um, by your family doctor? In some cases. Um, so things that would not otherwise be, you know, a clinical or assessment priority based on your, your family doctor's um, clinical assessment of you for me, they might be worthwhile to look into. So then I have the ability with my license to go ahead and run that blood work for you, which is great. Another That's great really tool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. It looks like sort of the same way how you have different friends for different things. You have different healthcare providers for different things as yeah, well. Exactly. And they're both important and they're both yeah. beneficial. Absolutely. So what exactly is functional medicine? It's being thrown around a lot. And I'm, I'm curious if you will. Yeah. So functional medicine. So that's a really cool umbrella term. I'm going to call it of, um, you know, different practitioners. There is an accredited like program. So a program that practitioners can undergo to become a functional medicine practitioner. Cool. Um, so medical doctors can be functional, um, naturopathic doctors can be functional, but really we're looking at the function, the biochemistry of the body and how we can optimize that to make sure that we are, um, you know, correcting any obstacles, figuring out any challenges and making sure that the body is working in its best way. So taking into account genetics, um, looking at hormones, pathways, you know, digestion, all of these things we've touched on today and figuring out how we improve that function. That might not be the best <laughs> um, <laughs> way to describe it. If there's any functional medicine practitioners out there listening, but that's really, you know, how I explain it to my patients when that it, cause it is a common term that's thrown out out there. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I relate to that too, in terms of exercise is 
There is like isolated movements where, you know, you're doing the bicep curls, you're doing the hamstring curls. And then there's Mm -hmm. functional movement that is all encompassing of how your entire body moves Mm -hmm. together. And, you know, we're not just looking at how your legs are moving or how your hamstrings are moving. We're looking at how your legs are moving with your core and moving with your posture and your spine and your head and your neck and all the things instead of just lying on our bellies and doing a hamstring curl. So that's sort of how I see it. Yeah, that's a really good, uh, a good way to put it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just briefly, you mentioned adrenal function and I forgot to Mm -hmm. ask you about it. What's that? What is all that? Yeah. So your adrenal glands, if you didn't know, they sit on top of your kidneys and they do many different things, but the one I'll touch on is they secrete our stress hormone cortisol. So cortisol is another hormone that gets a lot of bad rap out there um, because cortisol, if it's, you know, at higher levels, it can cause things like weight gain, um, fatigue, brain fog, all that type of stuff. Um, But your adrenal glands are really foundational to overall health, especially with the demands of, you know, excuse me, day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, work demands, the current climate that we're living in, in the world, um, all of that. So when we're in chronic fight or flight, um, we're in that chronic state of stress, our adrenal glands take a hit. So they're, you know, constantly pumping out Um, when your adrenal glands are constantly operating at that certain level and secreting that level of cortisol, eventually we could get into what we would call a quote unquote burnout state. So that's when there are some great testing. So the saliva test or the urine test that I mentioned can assess that adrenal function as well and seeing how your body is creating cortisol and the levels of it throughout the day, it should be highest within an hour after waking up and taper off gradually so that it's, a lo- it's at its lowest before bed so you can get a restful sleep. So looking at that diurnal pattern, which is what we call it, mm-hmm. making sure that's optimal helps to make sure that um, your adrenal glands are functioning well. If we're constantly pumping out cortisol, we're actually stealing from our hormone precursors that are fueling our progesterone and things like that as well. So we can see changes in our menstrual cycles if we're in a chronically stressed out state. Same with, you know, the changes in digestion, as I mentioned earlier too, right? The gut brain connection. Yeah. So what are some of the symptoms someone may be experiencing in adrenal burnout? Feeling exhausted when you wake up, um, constantly relying on caffeine, um, not sleeping through the night, um, brain fog, irritability, um, poor digestion, um, change in appetite, some weight gain or change in body composition. That's an example. Wow. So what I'm getting is your gut, your adrenals, your hormones, your sleep, your digestion, your poops, they're all related. Yes, they can be. And they're all important and they're all really good markers of how we're doing overall, which can all influence our skin and our menstrual cycles and our cramps and things like that. Absolutely. So for our listeners, if they feel so inclined, they're like, wow, you just called me out. You, you spoke to all the things that I'm experiencing. Where can they find you? Yeah, I would love to hear from you. If if you did feel called to, um, I, I work with people every day, like I said, to, you know, help them get to the root of those health concerns and, and, make their concerns heard and valid, right? To make sure that we're getting you what you need. So um, I would love to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Mary Ellen. Um, You can find me, my website, www.drmaryellentedeski.com. I'm sure that Bethany will 
provide all that in, yeah, in absolutely. a written form. <laughs> um, and that, those would be the two best ways to find me. Um, Instagram, um, you can send me a DM. I have my booking links there. If you are inclined to book a discovery call or an initial visit, we can do that in person in Waterdown or virtually, as I mentioned too. Wow. Um, and you're doing virtual appointments. Yeah. And how about virtual testing? How does that work? Yeah. So if we feel like you need to do testing and we we've um, gone through a virtual visit together, I simply send you the PDF to go get blood work done at the life labs in your area, or we can drop ship a test kit to you. Um, if we're doing a saliva or urine or stool collection that needs to be done. And then you would send that off all through the mail, all through the mail. That yeah. is so, so and supplements, so cool. supplements can be shipped to you as well. So we have, you know, adopted all these different ways of uh, seeing our patients, which is fantastic. That is awesome. I love that. And yeah. a few weeks ago, you put out a free meal guide. Yes, I did for I, hormones, my happy hormones guide. Exactly. So um, once again, focusing on healthy protein, healthy fat, um, you'll, you'll see some of those seeds like flax and, and the healthy fibers in there and, and um, our complex carbohydrates, which are important. So I did put out that guide along with a little bit of a symptom checker too. So kind of oh. looking at symptoms that could be related to estrogen symptoms that could be related to progesterone symptoms that could be related to testosterone. So it's free to download. The link is in my bio and my Instagram as well. So please do feel free to do that. That is awesome. So just sort of wrapping things up, I think when it comes to your health, it's really important to recognize that there's a lot of options. And if you're not getting the options or getting the feedback that you need, or you're being delegitimized or dismissed, there are other people like you who are out there who have the ability to test for these things and analyze and really look at what's going on. So I think that's, that's really awesome. The information you provided, just letting our listeners know that there is more out there. If every, everything is normal, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all the things. Um, I know our listeners are going to be super appreciative. I am linking everything in the show notes. I'm having your Instagram, I'm having your website um, so they can get in contact with you if they feel that feel called uh, to get in contact with you. So thank you so much. Oh, this has been so much fun. I, I love speaking with like-minded individuals and, you know, fellow women in, in the healthcare world. And um you know, I, I think that the best magic happens when our patients are cared for and when we can really provide that team approach to patient care. So thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun this morning. No problem at all. Thank you. Holy smokes. That was an action packed, dense, informative, and eye opening episode. I want to give a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart to Dr. Mary Ellen for coming onto The Crazy Beautiful Life and sharing her knowledge and expertise and intelligence and putting this amazing information out there. I feel so inclined to do some tests and to explore more and learn about what my options are with my body and with my health. I think it's really amazing that Dr. Mary Ellen outlined that if you aren't getting the results or if you aren't getting the answers that you need, there are other options and other things, other practitioners out there to help you towards optimal health. 
I feel so fortunate to have had this experience and to work with Dr. Mary Ellen. So if any of you would like to get in contact with her, whether it means booking a consultation or an appointment, I will have all of her contact information listed in the show notes, as well as in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group, as well as on my Instagram stories in the Estrogen Empire highlights. Thanks again, Dr. Mary Ellen, for putting these, this message out there, putting this information out there, and helping the estrogen empire understand how all the things, acne, gut health, menstruation, periods, adrenals, are all connected. Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to today's episode. If you like today's episode, please go ahead on Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star review. It helps me out so, so much. And I will see you all in next week's episode. It is a beautiful life.